This special was recorded on December the 30th. Therefore, some minor references may be out of date. Hello, Mr. Dennis. How are you? Hello, Mr. Clive. I- I'm well, thank you. I hope you are too. Yes, not so bad. Not so bad. Uh, I'll be glad to see the uh, festive season gone, to be quite honest. I don't know. Most people are over it by now. I certainly am. <laughs> You're so miserable. Um, I know. <laughs> Cheer up, love. <laughs> uh, this is why I, I thought we should do something as a kind of uh, betwixtmas special between us and the paid subscribers initially, where we discuss the case of Brianna Jai. Yeah. Now, uh, some of our listeners are not in the UK, so perhaps I should indicate a brief outline of what we're talking about today before we go any further. Mm-hmm. Brianna Jai was a 16-year-old uh, transgender girl who lived in a village near Warrington, which is in the north of England. And on the afternoon of the 11th of February, 2023, she was found with multiple stab wounds on a path in a park called Kulcheth Linear Park. She was found by members of the public. She was the daughter of Esther Jai and Peter Spooner, and she was a bit of a loner, to be honest, by all accounts. She suffered from anxiety. She'd previously had an eating disorder, and she didn't make friends easily from the sounds of things. She was very active on TikTok, however, where she had something like 30,000 followers, where she'd do little dances or she'd do makeup tutorials, that kind of thing. Emergency services were called at about quarter past three that day, and she was pronounced dead at the scene at four o'clock by paramedics. The Home Office post-mortem found that Brianna had been stabbed 28 times across her head, neck, chest and back, and that she likely would have died from a catastrophic hemorrhage. On the 8th of March 2023, an inquest was opened at uh, Warrington Coroner's Court and subsequently adjourned until after the trial, because it was fairly shortly after the murder that two 15-year-old suspects, a boy from Lee and a girl from Warrington, were arrested by Cheshire Police on the 12th of February 2023, so the very next day. The trial started this November, and it concluded about four weeks later, three or four weeks later, uh, with both defendants being found guilty of the murder of Brianna. Yeah. The jury were out for about four hours and 40 minutes. And they were both convicted of murder. They're currently waiting sentencing. Now, because of reporting restrictions, they were called Girl Y and Boy X. Uh, Mrs Justice Yip indicated that she would be naming the two convicted killers at the sentencing hearing, which is scheduled to take place on the 2nd of February, 2024. Yeah. So those are the bare bones of the case. But as can probably be imagined, because of Brianna's trans status, this attracted a lot of attention. And the immediate response to the crime, the immediate reaction to this crime, 
was to suggest that it was a transphobic hate crime. This was before the suspects had been even questioned about what happened. People were queuing up to call it a transphobic hate crime. The police had said that they didn't think there was any evidence of it. The uh, trans activist side and allies side said that she'd been persecuted for years for being transgender. Her mum said that the headmaster, sorry, the headmistress of her school denied that this was the case. And though she was a bit of a loner, though she was a bit isolated, she did have a small circle of friends at school. And there's no real evidence that she was the subject of transphobic bullying while she was at school. But that didn't stop people, did it, Dennis? No, I'm afraid it didn't. I mean, you know, body wasn't even cold, I suspect, before people started to have this rather unedifying and undignified debate claiming, you know, um, and exploiting, in my view, this case for political ends. And Mm. I I consider the whole thing uh, deeply undignified. Um, My position is this, as, as we know, the two convicted murderers drew up a list and that list comprised five uh, people. Brianna was one of the people on the list. Mm-hmm. The remaining four were boys that the murderers um, did not like. So it is not correct to say they were going out and targeting trans people for being trans. Otherwise, the entire list would have comprised trans people, right? Mm-hmm. So that is correct. But... It is also correct to say that if one looks at the text messages they exchanged, there there is hostility, there is contempt, there is lurid, sadistic chat, which is based on trans identity. Mm, Um, mm. The boy at one point said, and sorry to any listeners, some of these text messages are not very nice at all. I've never read anything like them in a murder case, but uh, the boy texted, quote, I want to see what size dick it had. Um, I want to see whether it, he he doesn't use pronouns other than it for Brianna, which I I don't think would be the case if Brianna was not trans. So I think that is hostility based on trans status. Mm, mm. Um, I want to see whether it screams like a, a man or a woman. Um, the girl up to that point who was exchanging the texts with him had used what we would call a preferred pronoun of her. I noticed in the exchanges of text after the boys start saying it, she starts saying that as, as well. Mm, but mm. there are lurid and horrible texts between these little psychopaths um, mm. that, that are redolent of that sort of, sort of hostility. Um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a red herring in in one respect the the entire debate though um, because as as we'll get on to the, the the prosecution did did not put the case on this basis and the prosecution were very careful to avoid the word transphobic or transphobia which was correct from a criminal law point of view because the prosecution are there to prove a murder and whether there is a hate aggravator is a matter on sentence. Because in a criminal mm. court, there is a bright line, and that, that line 
divides the judge from the jury and the judge decides whether there's a hate aggravator when there is a mm. sentence. The jury's only job is to decide are the defendants guilty of murder. So the prosecution were right to do what they did and, and to not go hard on this subject and to leave it for the judge on sentence. And the CPS and the police were right to ask everyone not to gabble about this online. But unfortunately, as we'll come on to discuss, some people were unable to stop themselves. I, I guess that if they had decided to um, say it was a transphobic hate crime, they'd need to prove that as well, wouldn't they? And that could complicate matters quite considerably. Well, why would you give yourself the extra burden as the prosecution of doing that? Why would you give the defence another target to hit when you don't have to? You'd have to be mad as prosecution counsel to do that. Mm. Because I imagine it would be very easy for the for the defence, sorry, to refute that by pointing out that they had this kill list, if you like, and that the other four intended victims were not trans they were boys yeah, yeah. And, and and look it's besides the point mrs justice yet would have intervened it had that been the case and said what do you think mm -hmm. you're doing we're here to decide if a jury are sure that these two are guilty of murder get on with that please that's mm. that's you know people misunderstand what the role of the crown court and the jury is and the as i say the jury is there to decide whether they're satisfied so they are sure, which is our modern way of saying beyond reasonable doubt, that the defendants are guilty of murder. That's mm. what the jury is for. It's, it's for Mrs Justice Yip in February to decide what the aggravating factors are in this case. And that's the proper time and place to have that discussion. But that didn't stop her becoming a poster girl for the uh, trans rights movement, a sort of martyr, yeah. if you like. Yeah. And we saw some uh, vigils being held and we saw some accusations being thrown at people who um, had nothing to do with the murder, but were accused of having blood on their hands. And that didn't calm down at all before the trial, during the trial or after the trial, did it? No, it was absolutely reckless. And I'm sorry to say that some of the quotes that you've just recited there came from legal professionals, which I found very surprising. Um, mm. Criminal trials are very, very delicate things. There is a reason that the police and the CPS said prior to this trial, please do not publicly speculate about this sort of thing. And the reason for that is that it just makes the job of the prosecution and the defense more difficult at trial if everyone is off having their own trial on social media. And then the judge has to worry about what the jury are reading. And, and certainly, you know, that's a subject we covered before saying, you know, as, as we have on uh, the podcast, you know, please refrain from comment at this time. Um, but there we are. Some people were unable to stop themselves. Mm. And once the trial kicked off, because there was a kind of lull between uh, February and November, when the sort of the vigils and the talk about Brianna calmed down a little bit. But then once the trial kicked off, that makes it even more um, important not to be speculating about the case while it's in front of the judge. Is that right, Dennis? Damn, damn right. Damn right. I mean, look, 
the, the way a murder trial works is, is this. They are very, very, very delicate things. Um, you, you are not doing your job properly on a murder trial if you're not up till about two in the morning every night of the trial. Things crop up. At, at trials, the defence will be seeking disclosure if you're prosecuting of this, that, and the other as witnesses very, say things. Both defence counsel are dealing with defendants who have intermediaries. That's a, a court-appointed person that helps someone with disabilities um, participate in the trial process. But it adds an extra layer of complexity if if you are defending. And so, let's let's turn, if we may, for example, to the tweets by Jolion Jolion Morn Casey, who had to delete his his tweets in the middle of this trial. He referred to the defendants as killers, which you can't do because mm. whether they are killers or not. Right, that's a matter for the jury. He also mm -hmm. mentioned this transphobia thing, which again, the prosecution studiously and correctly avoided. Let me just explain what that does, right? Imagine you are the prosecution junior, right? And imagine you're two days into the trial. Um, if you are prepping for day three of the trial, let's say we're on the pathology evidence, for example, you have to sort of tell your family you're unavailable that night, you have to sit in front of your computer and you have to know the pathology report back to front because at any time, her ladyship, the judge or defense counsel, conceivably, or even the jury might say, right, injury 17. Um, what is the nature of the injury? What's the depth of the injury? What are the causation implications of it? Is it? Does it look defensive? Does it look aggressive? Can, do the prosecution have cases to which defendant was more likely to attribute it? Can you say the order in which that... Do you see what I mean? You have to know mm, this back yeah, to front. Yeah, yeah. Because at any time in the trial, if the judge shoots a question at you and you don't know the answer, the prosecution will start to look shaky. So you have to be word perfect. You have to know your evidence back to front. At the same time, at any time, the prosecution, QC, Casey, could ring you with a question or a development. Um, the officer in the case could ring you. Defence counsel could ring you. The court could ring you. You have to juggle a lot of things. Now imagine in the middle of that, suddenly you have to drop everything and your leader says, right, tomorrow morning we've got a contempt of court issue. Right? And right. we're going to lose at least an hour of court time. You have to drop all the pathology revision that you were doing you've got to ring the defense and tell them to do the same um you all then have to go to this idiot's twitter feed you then have to read in depth exactly what he's written you then have to prepare a document for the judge you then have to go and look up contempt law contempt law in crime is complex it is very easy to get it wrong okay mm -hmm. once you've done your deep dive into contempt law you then have to the next morning in court get there as early as possible you have to go and meet the family of the deceased you have to explain to them sorry you thought you were going to hear some pretty traumatic evidence this morning you're not going to we have to deal with this idiot on twitter you then have to reassure them that the wheels won't come off this trial you then have to tell them what the implications of contempt are you have to reassure them and the wider prosecution team that you're going to keep the show on the road. You then have to go and meet defense counsel who will be angry that this has happened and will want to ensure that there is a robust response for the prosecution because it is their clients that are being called killers, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see, can't you, that that entire morning in court, you 
it's just completely wasted with these antics. Once you've dealt with these antics and you've and you've come to some sort of resolution, and some of your police team have had to go and speak to this idiot who can't abide by contempt of court provisions, which are fairly well known, you then have to plug your head back into the pathology evidence and think, damn it, where was I? Mm. So mm. I, sorry to go on at some length there, Clive, but I just wanted to spell out exactly the chaos that this causes in a criminal trial. And that's mm. on top of all the other things that crop up in criminal trials. That's on top of the defence saying, I need some disclosure about, I don't know, the WhatsApp messages or the pathology or here's a defence pathology report. It's on top of all of that sort of stuff. It is one of the reasons I was quite robust about asking people not to comment about this is because of exactly what I just spelt out there. These mm. being reckless as to contempt of court has the capacity to completely derail, derail trials. And, you know, these people who want to say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm campaigning for justice. Look at me. Look at what a great trans ally I am. No, you're, you're not. All you're doing is endangering the very delicate beast that is a criminal trial and the recklessness of um, Jolion and others in this, I found astounding. And I'm, uh, uh, I thought that a lot of people got off pretty lightly. There are some judges who would have hauled people in front of the court for this behaviour. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dennis, but I remember you telling me once that in order to become a KC, you had to have done some murder trials yourself. That would be true for a criminal KC. Um, right. Not true for a, a tax KC. They, they would do the equivalent level of seriousness in their own division, say, presumably okay. High Court Chancery type works. But, you know, the point is, though, Clive, contempt of court is, is not unknown across the bar, whether you're crime, commercial or whatever. We, we, all, we all know what contempt of court is because we have to. And, and that's, you know, that's part of our job. We are, mm. we, we are what is called officers of the court. And that means we have a duty not just to our clients, we have a duty to the courts as well. And one of those duties is to ensure that trials are not disrupted, mm. particularly so murder trials, for goodness sake. I mean, there was there was a risk then that this could be a mistrial. Is that right? Yeah, well, you know, potentially, potentially, you know, it, it would right. depend. I mean, if 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 there was a note from the jury the next morning saying we've all read Twitter and we want to know what the prosecution's view is about this, then potentially, potentially yeah. that can happen. Which is why uh, uh, Mrs. Justice yet correctly and, uh, in my view, properly required the deletion of those tweets. Mm. Presumably. She could have involved the Bar Standards Board, or is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she could have done. Hmm. The trial kicked off, and it, it came to light that uh, both Boy Y and Girl X were diagnosed with autism. So Girl X was found to have traits of autism and uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, Boy Y was, di was diagnosed after arrest also as autistic. And as having selective mutism, which meant that mm. he was not able to speak to anyone except his mother. In order yeah, to yeah, highly highly selective mutism, in my view, mutism mm. that kicked in only after he was confronted with incontrovertible evidence of his guilt in the form of a hunting knife covered in blood and clothing covered in blood. I understand that he'd been quite chatty in his first interview with the police. He wasn't selectively mute with them when he was mm. telling them lies. 
this mutism only kicked in once it seemed like the game was up. I have to say, as I've said to you before, I find that element of the case, I treat that with some deep cynicism, frankly. Mm. But nevertheless, it having been diagnosed, the court then had to make reasonable accommodations for them. Yes. So uh, Y was allowed to communicate with the court by writing. Both yep. X and Y were given the option to participate via video link rather than in person. Yep. And the jury were instructed that both X and Y could react or speak differently in the proceedings due to their diagnoses. For Y, the accommodations were that he was in a separate room with a computer where questions were put to him by the barristers. He typed out his answers, and those were read out by an intermediary. Yes, that's correct. Um, so he, he can't say he didn't have a fair trial. Um, yeah. There's no appeal point for him there. He's been given every indulgence to participate in this trial. You could argue that he had an advantage over other defendants because he got to sit down, think, and then type um, rather than react on the spur of the moment. You, I mean, it seems to me that the court bent over backwards to ensure that he could participate in this trial. Mm. And X gave her, her uh, testimony in court. Mm. Uh, live so as so to speak so she was there wasn't um, a computer for her she had to speak her evidence mm. is this a good point to just discuss these two defendants and what we make of them mm. yeah. yes well they're both 15 mm. at the time of the offense there's yeah. not i couldn't find much information about their backgrounds to be honest and i'm assuming that more of that will come to light once they're named in February. Yeah, that'll be because of the anonymity order, Clive. So mm. newspapers would know that they couldn't report anything that might lead to their identification. So that's why you can't find background information. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But what we do know is what happened between the two of them. Mm. And one thing we do know is that X was a, rather a dark character from the outset. Mm. She was very interested in uh, murder and death and torture to the point where she'd got hold of an app which allowed her to access the dark web. And she shared with Y some of the video material that she found on there of people being tortured, people being killed. And with Y, they talked quite a lot about wanting to kill somebody. Mm. And they got very animated, if I'm right in saying this, very animated and very excited about the thought of killing somebody. A girl X had got had, as you mentioned earlier, a kill list of five people that she didn't like. One of them was Brianna. The other four were boys that she decided she didn't like. And in fact, the intended victim on the day was one of these boys but because he wasn't available, they decided to go with Brianna instead. And it seems yes, and there's like... A, there's a suggestion that they'd um, previously tried to poison Brianna, of course, Clive, as well. Well, yeah, yeah. Girl X had given her a an ibuprofen overdose. So mm. presumably secreted in a drink or some food that she'd given her. Um, her mum, Esther Jai, spoke about what had happened this was a couple of weeks before she was actually murdered 
what had happened as a result of this was that Brianna was up during the night with severe stomach pains and um, she was in an awful lot of uh, discomfort. And it was inexplicable to either of them why this was happening. But in retrospect, Mm. it was thought that it was possibly um, an effect of the ibuprofen overdose. Gerlex was very disappointed that this didn't work. And I seem to remember that there was a text between them where she said, well, stabbing her would be more fun anyway. Yes, I think I think the, this was openly discussed in the WhatsApp communications, and it, it really does come across of six of one and a half dozen of the other, I think, because mm. they, they, there was an open, almost gleeful discussion about poisoning by way of ibuprofen. I think it was in a McDonald's milkshake was the vector for it. And Gerlach, as you say, expressed disappointment, and to which the boy responded that they ought to double the dose. Um, that, that's extraordinary in a murder case, isn't it? There has been one mm. attempt to kill Brianna prior to, as you say, the um, the escalation into into the stabbing. Um, mm. This this is a concerted um, conspiracy. I mean, if they hadn't been successful in in the murder itself. These text messages, I have no doubt, would ground a conviction for conspiracy to murder because mm. there are open discussions. Uh, we have discussed this before, Clive, and I've used the phrase folly à deux, the French expression, the madness of two, mm. that you sometimes get, as you know, in murder cases, a particular combination of two. I'm going to say psychopath. That might not be precisely the right term for it, but you get two psychopaths who sort of egg each other on and there Mm. is an elation in an arousal in the way they talk to each other um girl x said do you know that girl brianna i want to kill her the easiest way would be a pill overdose and she's depressed so no one would get sus now you can see the level of planning there can't Mm. you and Mm. the targeting of someone who is depressed um and it's january as you say brianna is then violently sick following that pill conversation the texts are quite extraordinary. Once they do get onto um, the the stabbing, the the planning is meticulous. Quote: Meet me at the wooden post in Linear, that's Linear Park, and we'll go over the plan again together. And I'll show you where I'm killing her. Grab onto her, slit her throat. She starts to fall. Pass me the knife. I want to. This is the girl here. I want to stab her at least once, even if she's dead. Quote: Just because it's fun. I don't mm-hmm. want to wait. I want to hear her scream in pain. Uh, um, the girl, I want to see the pure horror on her face and her scream in pain. The boy then responds, I want to see what, what dick size it had. And then the girl starts talking about trophies, which is mm. a, a very unpleasant element of the conversations between them. The girl asked, the girl asked what part of the body she will keep as the trophy. So that's the boy there has has also got into trophies now. Mm. And the girl responds, just part of its flesh. As I say, notice the girl is now using the its pronoun and an eyeball. I have never seen texts like this in my life. And I have been in a few murder cases. Um, this is off the scale. Like there are... When gangsters plan a hit, right, or even where gangsters have fallen out with each other and say horrible things about each other, it's nothing like this. This is pure horror movie Mm. stuff. I I mean, goodness knows what the hell has gone wrong 
in the lives of these people. And we, I, I understand from the BBC podcast on this that the boy comes from a what would seem to be a fairly normal background. He's the son of two professionals. He was going to go off and do a microbiology degree mm. at university. I don't know as much about the girl's background. I know that her parents were in court, though. Um, goodness knows what's gone on. But these... I, I mean, you, you probably read more murder cases than I do, Clive. I, I, I've never seen texts like this. Well, part of me thinks that this was all, at that point, a fantasy for them, rather than anything that would really happen. Um, do you think so? Because they'd already I'm, poisoned well, let Brianna, me, remember that. Let Sorry, me Let me qualify that. Yeah. She is, they are acting like movie villain serial killers they are acting also like serial killers that they would have read about so they yeah. know that serial killers keep trophies so we have to keep trophies they also seem to think it's all going to be terribly easy mm. you know they'll meet her at this park they'll stab her they'll hide her body then they'll go away and finish their day almost as if they haven't really thought through well there's going to be noise they mentioned the screaming but they haven't mm. they haven't factored in that this is a public park there are people about they're meeting earlier in the in the broad daylight they could easily be caught any adult could intervene at any time and they also seem mm. to think that the murder will be very quick and very easy as well when as both of you and I know that isn't ever the case you know the idea that they can just effortlessly slit her throat the idea that stabbing her a few times is going to be no effort at all it's almost like they're creating a fantasy of what the murder will be like rather than really thinking through the reality of what they're talking there's a they're talking about there's almost a disconnect in in what they're saying between what is going to happen and what they imagine it's going to to be like do you, do you see what i'm getting at I, I i do now it's interesting detective chief superintendent mike evans on the bbc podcast was asked about that element of, of the case and he put it down to arrogance and i i i agree with him i have mm. to say now the day after the murder the girl texts the boy and she says quote do you have anxiety about being caught she then says something like the police in this area are quote shit um so mm. the there's a lot of bravado here. They're quite confident that they won't get caught. And um, when, when I think, I think it's when the boy is arrested, he says, "You know, I know what you're here about," or, or something like like that. Mm. Um, they're pretty sure they can talk themselves out of this. Mm. And it's 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 extraordinary because you've got this really very dark visceral enjoyment of violence, fatal violence, sadistic violence, um, which is plain from the text messages. But then you've got a sort of 15-year-old's naivety. For example, they delete their WhatsApp messages, but that's that's no barrier to a competent police no. force. Those can be no. deleted fairly easily, right? So that's fine. The, the girl has a note in her bedroom. This is a written note, which is used in evidence against her, where she writes down the plan for um, killing 
Brianna, that, that, you know, pen and paper in the bedroom. The boy has bloodstained clothing, as I've said, in the bedroom. As I said to you at the time, privately, the case against these two was overwhelming. They mm. were never going to get out no. of this. Um, and it's just extraordinary that there's this arrogance that seems to, that they seem to share. Um, with this, they seem to think that they're not going to get caught. They seem to think the police won't won't bother too much about this. They then, they then run ludicrous defences uh, because mm. as as they turn on each other at trial, don't they? Um, having an interview, they both have a, a stupid story that they they both present. They stick to. Um, I, th I think they blame a third party. But mm. that falls apart pretty quickly. So what the prosecution are facing is what we would call a cutthroat defence, which is a bit inappropriate given the injuries of this case. Mm. But but, yeah. that's, but that's what we call it as barristers. We say it's a cutthroat defence. And if that means one defendant is blaming the other. Their accounts at trial are ludicrous. The, the girl says, despite all the planning, it was just fantasy. She never thought it would happen. And then the boy does everything. The boy mm -hmm. says... Oh, I went to relieve myself against a tree. I turned around and the girl had done this. What? The girl had done 28 stab wounds. Mm. Uh, th these, mm -hmm. uh, I, I can't imagine the prosecution broke much of a sweat during this trial. These defences, as I said to you at the time, were ludicrous. Uh, I am not so... For a jury to be out four hours is relatively unusual on a murder. And remember, when the jury came back, they came back with unanimous convictions. So all 12 of them were sure of the defendant's guilt. That is really unusual. A jury is normally out on a murder for, generally speaking, two, three days, something like that. This was an overwhelming case for the prosecution. And, you know, I, I make this point, if I may. It was open to these defendants to show a little bit of remorse and to plead guilty right they could have saved brianna's mum and dad sitting in court listening to things like pathology evidence they could have saved brianna's mum and dad listening to their grotesque bloody text messages they could have spared that family going through this but they chose not to and they chose not to because they are immature they are unable to take responsibility for what they've done and they thought they could talk their way out of it uh it wouldn't surprise me if they enjoyed elements of their trial either because they are both sadistic and i'm afraid to say some sadistic defendants enjoy the public show of this sort of thing but you know a, a ludicrous set of defenses i guess they would have been advised that it might be better to plead guilty yes. by their by their um lawyers wouldn't they Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you'd, ha you'd have to have that conversation, wouldn't you? Because you'd have mm. to say, look, you are about to get a very, very, very long sentence. Your, your only hope of shaving a bit off that sentence, and it's no more than a bit, is to plead guilty. But that's the only way we can stand up in mitigation and say to the judge, at least we've spared the family the worst of this. And that does mean something. These are not pleasant trials to sit through. It is not pleasant every day to go to court and listen to injuries, fatal injuries, the like of which I've never seen in a murder case before on your child. That would have been some mitigation, but no, they, they thought they could talk their way out of it, didn't they?
it's very um teenage bravado though as well isn't it there's something very yeah. childlike about the way they approached all of this the fact that she she had it written down on a on a piece of paper their plan for murder and if you look at the handwriting, it's very much a teenage girl's handwriting, isn't it? I think there are even little circles over the eye and things like that. It's a round, childish hand. And it's almost, I, I, I can't get away from the idea that they weren't even aware of the gravity of what they were discussing. I'm it was like a, a dream. They knew exactly what they were doing, in, in my view. I mean, I, you know, people sometimes say, oh, I will never know why they did it. I'll tell you why they did it. They enjoyed it. That is absolutely plain as a pike stuff from their text messages. These are sadistic um, convicted murderers who enjoy this. They get a kick out of it. They get a buzz out of it. It is obvious that they enjoy it. These are, you know, these aren't, aren't people who've had a sort of sudden um, psychotic episode no this has been meticulously planned for months and months and months these are two people who never should have met and that and their meeting set off a chain of events where they egged each other on and outdid each other and reveled in what they were doing they they enjoyed mm. this. I'm afraid is the truth, and you can you can see that. I don't know if this is a good point to go to the injuries in this case. Well, um, just just before sorry, we do, yeah. just before we do, I, the one interesting thing that came to my mind is that poisoning is a very female way of killing somebody. Mm. If you look at some of the poisoners throughout history, and if you look at some of the female murderers throughout history, poisoning is often a weapon of choice so um, even if we look at another recent case lucy letby a lot of it was about overdosing and a lot of it was about injecting things into the babies in order to kill them it's a very sort of female sort of crime whereas stabbing someone to death is a very male mm. sort of crime again if you look at a lot of female murderers of course there are outliers but very rarely do they use a knife as a as a weapon. When you look at male murderers and particularly sexual sadists, knives feature very very highly because they're mm. up close, they're personal, they cause a lot of pain and agony for the victim, and uh, there's something very male about jabbing a knife into someone. Do you see what I'm getting at? There's yeah, yeah, something I, very. You're, you're correct. Yeah, it's instructive about it. Yeah, it's instructive that the poisoning, um, the, the as I say, I think it was a milkshake. That's the girl reports that to the boy, so that's the girl acting. The, I mean, the boy encourages it, so he mm. he would be guilty of an attempt murder by joint enterprise, I suppose. But um, but that's the girl on her own with Brianna. But mm. when they're together, um, obviously the boy's muscle is there and that's an interesting point actually because it, it, if one looks at the blood staining in this case it would mm. seem that it's the boy that's covered in blood it's his clothing it's his trainers the hunting knife is in his room 
no honor amongst thieves. The girl points to that in trial in the mm. cutthroat defense and says, and says it's all him because he's all covered in blood. So, you know, how quickly that friendship fell apart when the rubber hit the road. Um, mm. Yes, it, 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 I mean, my conclusion on that would be the inference is that the boy is, is the main assailant, which would make sense. Um, I'm not saying that the girl, it means therefore the girl delivered no stab wounds. We, we will never know, of course, but it no. seems to me, seems to be likely that she did because there was a meticulous plan that he would begin the um, frenzied assault and then pass the knife um, to to her. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's it's the folly adieu, isn't it? She's Once she's got the muscle of the boy there and he's got this common shared interest, um, the, the knife becomes the, the way of delivering the fatal violence. And my goodness, didn't they do so? Um, it was like, just, just to, just to pause because I, I do want to talk about the injuries because yeah, like you've pointed out, they take a fair amount of strength. So it's useful to have an idea of what kind of injuries we're talking about, but also he brought a really big knife to the to the crime scene didn't he a big hunting knife so something that is intended to cut it's not like a pen knife that you might sharpen a pencil with or or you know it's not like a a, a kitchen knife that's meant for cutting up vegetables we're talking about a knife that's meant to cut through flesh aren't we mm. so it's an horrible looking thing i'm looking at a picture of it now um yeah it's you know it it it, it, it is a, a very 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 nasty weapon indeed and the nature of the uh injuries is interesting in terms of the amount of strength that it might have taken to uh inflict them yeah the the injuries in this case are extraordinary um to, just to put it in context clive the last murder trial i did there were two stab wounds right and they were to the buttocks of the deceased and they'd nicked the femoral artery and the boy mm. who was 14 i think um bled to death and that you know two 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 stab wounds one was quite deep one one was mm. quite shallow mm. now look at this case brianna gets 28 injuries the home office pathologist dr allison armor gives evidence at the trial she describes the injuries as non-survivable and consistent with being delivered by the hunting knife there are defensive injuries to brianna's right arm and right thumb these these are extraordinary defensive injuries uh, one of the wounds enters the biceps and exits um the outside of the arm below the shoulder so that's straight through the, the the body and just crazy five significant injuries are detailed to the court wounds to the left and right lungs both of which are punctured those so those are deep stab wounds the aorta and the esophagus uh, and then the most extraordinary injury uh, to the right hand side of the neck there's a series of six stab wounds one of which completely severs the jugular and the carteroid. That's that is very unusual to see. Um, mm. Completely severing that structure it is that is frenzied. That 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 is that is an extraordinary level of brutality. As Doctor Armour said, that injury on its own um, would have been sufficient to cause death from what she described as catastrophic 
hemorrhage. So, yes. you know, you, these two went above and beyond what what was what would have been necessary just to achieve murder itself. This is mm. this is this is a frenzy. This is this is bloodlust. There's damage from the weapon to Brianna's ribs, the vertebrae, the breastbone. Considerable force is used. Now, I, I just pause there. When a pathologist says considerable force, that is an understatement, right? Pathologists are really careful not to say, you know, not not to overegg the pudding, as it were. So when you hear the word considerable, that that means really, really, really serious. Um, mm. the, these are, as I say, the, these are extraordinary um, injuries. My, the only sucker, the only ray of any comfort from that is I think death would have been pretty quick in this in this case. But I, would, yes. I, I also wonder what the hell state these two were in, because as you will know from reading about this case, there was an offer in a text message from the girl. The girl claimed to have her hands on cocaine, which I thought was an interesting element of this case. Mm. Another element of this case that kept getting lost under all the transphobia stuff. And I do want to make that point, right? That all the stuff about transphobia lost a lot of the important details of this case. Now, one important detail is the brutality and the savagery of the injuries, as we are just discussing. The other is the role of cocaine. I spe I've speculated and I wonder, given the level of these injuries, if these two were on coke at the time, because this is a frenzy. I mean, I might be wrong there, Clive, but it's, I was just interested in that element of the case. I think that's entirely possible, given the nature of the injuries and the amount of them, 28. Yeah. When, you, when you watch a film and someone gets stabbed a number of times, it's all presented as rather effortless, but actually plunging a knife into someone and with sufficient force to cause serious injury and withdrawing the knife to do yeah. it again is actually a lot of work. Taking a knife out of somebody's body is not as easy as people imagine it to be. Yeah. It's like if you stabbed a joint of pork and then tried to withdraw the knife, um, it takes a certain amount of effort, which is why murderers often end up with knife wounds on their hands, for instance. Mm. To sever her carotid artery, that would be serious, serious force needed to get into the carotid artery in the first place. They also nick her aorta, which is the major uh, blood vessel leading from the heart to the rest of the body. The heart, remember, is behind a rib cage and it's behind the mm. sternum, which is a really tough uh, bone. The, the, the yeah. central bone of your rib cage is very tough. So they would have had to be really, really putting some uh, strength behind it to do that. Like you say, Dennis, she likely bled out very quickly. If I, you I bloody hope so, Clive. <clears throat> well, if you nick the aorta like that, then an unconsciousness wouldn't be far behind. Yeah, I guess that's. I guess that is correct. Um, yeah, I have to say. I mean, we'll come to sentencing later, but um, one of the f things that you have to consider passing a murder sentence is whether there are elements of sadism, whether it's a sadistic killing. And I have to say, I have no doubt, um, given those injuries, that that's exactly what this is. Well, yes. Uh, I don't want to go into gory details about what she might have experienced, but mm. certainly, I mean, 
a stab wound is a very unpleasant thing, regardless of where on the body it is. Mm. I mean, you've only got to think of what it's like to cut yourself with a knife. Yes. And how painful that is. Yes. Um, to do that once would be bad enough, but to repeatedly do it as well makes mm. me think that well, they well, were possibly, there was a sexual element to this as much as, as, as a, um, you know, we want to kill this girl, you know, as much as they were, there was bloodlust. There was also a very sexual element to it, I think, as, as evidenced by the text messages between the two of them. They were, as you say, enjoying this. They were getting off on it. They found it yeah. fun. They liked it. I think the, the girl actually says at one point, Clive, she says, it'll be fun. There we go. I just want to stab her at least once, even if she's dead, quote, just because it's fun. Mm. I think it's possible that she liked it a little more than he did, even though that doesn't stop him being guilty of murder. Don't get me wrong. But just li just looking at the text exchanges between them she certainly seems to be more in charge she decides the venue she decides the date she decides the victim she decides the method of dispatch she tells him what the plan is going to be we'll do this then we'll do that then we'll do that then we'll do that she instigates mm. she is the one who delivers the poison to brianna first in an attempt to kill her and he seems to be like a kind of goon that's dragged along to provide the muscle. That's how it seems to me. I don't agree. I, I think it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. I think she's more verbal than he is. But he is, you know, quote, I want to see what dick size it had, the boy. Mm. Um, he also talks about trophies. He asks her what trophies she's going to keep she may talk more than him but he's he's that may just be a reflection of who talks more in, in that partnership there isn't at no point does he do anything other than egg her on or um or, or he, he doesn't disagree he doesn't try and study her no i i, I think the pair of them are are, are equally in this i don't accept that this girl is in charge this boy is going uh along with this he's happy to go along with this he's got he's got the hunting knife he's the one covered in blood he is the most likely candidate for the delivery of the most serious wounds so i i mm. i think it's i think it's a i think it's six of one half a dozen of the other is my view of that but i suppose i suppose both views are available on the evidence um yeah while we're, while we're on this subject it's probably a good time to mention briefly just the doctrine of joint enterprise which is what these two charmers were convicted under and I, i'll just very briefly say it i mean i'll put it as simply as i can the criminal law says that if you encourage or assist or procure um, a, a criminal offence, you are as guilty as the person who goes out and commits the criminal offence. So to give a very basic example, if you tell me you are burgling a house tomorrow and I think that you will go through with it and I give you a set of wire cutters and a crowbar the night before and the next day you go and burgle the house, 
I am guilty of the burglary, all right, because I've encouraged and assisted you. You are what's known as the principal, and I am the secondary in that principal and secondary liability. It comes from a case called Jogi. Now, this case is, is well beyond that, isn't it? Because it's not the night before, and it's not just giving the items. It's actually being there. And in the in the case of the girl, who, who would probably try and put herself as the secondary here, I don't think she'd have much luck doing that. She, she's the one who's been instrumental in luring Brianna to this park, um, securing confidence and that sort of thing, uh, and then certainly being present. Um, for the killing. There's no doubt in my mind that that would be the case. So the defendants are, are convicted in this case on the doctrine of joint enterprise on the basis that the jury don't have to be sure which one delivered which wound. They just have to be sure that one of them did, or one or other of them did, and that the other encouraged it. So that's mm. the legal the legal basis of their conviction. <clears throat> yes, yes. And I think that's fairly obvious yeah. that they were both going along to do something to Brianna. Yeah. And, you know, their excuses, she went off for a walk. And when she came back, Brianna was dead. He went off for a piss. He came back, Brianna was dead. That level of attack would take more than the time it takes for you or I to go for a slash. Yeah. And or have a little walk. This was an extended attack over a number of uh, minutes. And, uh, I think you're right to say that cocaine played a, a huge part in this. I think it's possible that they were on cocaine. The level of violence is indicative mm. of a frenzy, a frenzied attack, one that was committed when they were both uh, high on cocaine. And, and if that is true, I mean, obviously, I'm speculating that that is the case, but it does, it, you know, there is a, a basis for that speculation. Um, but if that is true, there is another element of this case that is significant, which is county lines, because 15 yes. year olds in any normal functioning society should not be getting their hands on cocaine if, if they have in these circumstances. And that is another element of this case, as I say, if that is the case that needs looking at. Well, I, I, couldn't agree more. I think there's much more to come out about what happened in this. There's a, yeah. they said that they tried to lure Brianna to the park by offering her cocaine and that they'd done it before. So that suggests that they have access to a supply of cocaine. Now, whether that's the, the girl just exaggerating and, you know, showing off, I don't know, but yeah. In this day and age, it's not without the bound of possibilities that they are avail that that is available to them. Yeah, because of county lines, Clive, and because of county lines. Yeah, if if that is the case, we need a discussion about that and 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 what is going on, frankly. Uh, and mm. again, that's an important discussion which shouldn't be drowned out by people exploiting this extraordinary case for political. Ends. Mm. because that i think i think is an element of this case oh definitely well it's perhaps we can move on to yeah. talk about what happened after the trial sure. so it was established that they were both in it together doesn't matter who delivered the the fatal blow they both went there with the intention of killing brianna for whatever reason um she the the girl seems to have been somewhat fascinated by her. Mm. The boy 
I don't know what his motivation was. Yes, he said some things that were arguably transphobic in his text responses to the girl, but I don't think that transphobia was a main motivating factor. I think that the girl might possibly have been jealous of Brianna, actually, because if you look at the last pictures of Brianna, she looks fairly well put together. She's got her own sense of style. She stands out for that reason. Do you know what I'm getting at? Mm. She, she might be seen as quite a cool person because she's transgender. Um, and because of her TikTok presence, I can see jealousy being part of the motivation here, but not necessarily transphobia. In fact, Girl X seems, if anything, to be somewhat enamored of her rather than hating her. Mm, it's it's I, I can't work it out because it, I, I, all I can see is the sadism. That's all I all mm. I can see. Um, there is a, a fixation, I would say, rather than a fascination. There's a fixation mm. on Brianna from, from what we know. But having said that, we haven't seen the text messages about the other four on the list, and I, I do wonder if you know if you compared them side by by side, what what they'd be saying about. The others. There's a. I mean, mm. it's one of the very sad features about this case, isn't it? Brianna seems to have had this double life because there's the anxiety. Seems to be a level of isolation at school. Seems like Brianna is having quite a difficult ad adolescence. The mother mm. speaks moving. The mother who's been nothing but dignified in this. Poor, poor Esther, the mum. Um, you know, talks about self-harming and having eating disorders and the whole thing being quite complex. So there's this isolated, anxious real world that Brianna occupies. But then there's this more glamorous, perfect, more fun TikTok world. And, you know, getting likes on TikTok is very important to Brianna. And the mum mentions that that's a, bit, that's a big part of Brianna's life. So you have this dichotomy of, you know, quite a difficult real world life, but then this otherworldly life on on TikTok. And it, it, I have to say, I, I, you know, I was struck by, in order for Brianna to get on that bus to get to culture, which which is a village outside Warrington, I I reached the conclusion you would have to be pretty lonely to do that and pretty desperate to have friends because Brianna sends a text message to the mother um, once on the bus and the mum says in the BBC podcast that she sort of knew something was wrong at that point. That was an odd text message to get. And I just think there's there's an, an element of isolation in this mm. case to mm. and vulnerability to, to, to put yourself in that situation because the other thing that um really struck me on the podcast for the bbc which is very good and i highly recommend was the um, the mother said once we knew the names because the family know the names obviously they've been in court with them once they knew the names of the boy and the girl it didn't surprise them so that suggests that there is a local knowledge that these two are no good mm. and if that is generally well known and Brianna is accepting an invitation to go and see them. You would only do that if you were pretty isolated and 
pretty desperate for, for mates to hang out with was my conclusion. And that that makes this, one, a very sad case, but two, it means the level of exploitation, the level of betrayal of that vulnerability is just through the roof. Mm. It really is. Mm. That was that was something that I found really quite heartbreaking was that message mm. to her mum where she says that she was feeling nervous on the bus because there were so many people on it. And you just get the sense that this is someone who's very fragile and very anxious. And like you say, something that would lure her out of the house to go to that park to meet those people, there has to have been a significant impulse on her part to reach out to these two and to become friends with her, yeah. friends with them. And that's yeah. that's very sad, very well, what, sad indeed. What teenager doesn't want to be popular? What teenager doesn't want to have friends? What teenager doesn't you know want to be the sort of person that goes out and you know everyone everyone does stupid things when they're a kid, you know whether it's drugs or drink or, or whatever. What what teenager doesn't want to go and do that sort of thing? This is the sort of thing teenagers do. Um, that that really is a is a is a, a desperately desperately sad dimension to this case, I think, and 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 it and it makes the offending even worse because luring someone out in that way, off the back of a month months and months of a conspiracy to murder, like, this is a very very tightly executed, well planned sadistic murder. Um, and I tell you what, if these two were over 21, they'd be getting whole life terms. Um, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. I, I, the reaction to the trial, the, the, the conclusion of the trial happened to coincide with the uh, government issuing guidance to schools about trans students, didn't it? That's correct, yeah. And we saw absolute idiots like Dawn Butler a Labour a Labour MP drawing an equivalence between the two or conflating the two, saying that the reason uh, Brianna died was because of an atmosphere of hatred that had been whipped up by the Tory government, culminating in this horrendous guidance to schools. I've seen some terrible behaviour by MPs, but that really was utterly appalling mm. in my view. Yeah. That was standing on the dead body, the brutalized body of a young person to make a political point about the opposing party, your opponents. It was revolting. Yeah, it's, it's just disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. You know, this case hasn't even been sentenced. And I think Butler used it directly to attack the government. Um, mm. And, mm. you know, that guidance in school should not be party political right no. it shouldn't be government versus labor party what goes on in our schools how we deal with this phenomenon should not be a question of knockabout punch and judy politics um, no. butler just showed she is not a serious person and, and is, oh, yes. is just not equipped to deal with this matter with the seriousness that it deserves she's not alone i'm afraid you've mm. referenced the blood on your hands brigade people clive there are people who are determined to misuse this case for their own political ends and i i just find that that you know given the, the gravity of this case that we've spoken about given the extraordinary features of 
this case. I just it's it's just insulting. And I tell you what, if one reads the Wikipedia article about this case, it's pretty disgusting because it's yes. it just goes on the political angle. There's there's nothing about the the role of cocaine. There's nothing about the text messages. It's nothing about you know fully adir or um, or the severity of the injuries or the conspiracy. That's just not important to some people. What's important no. is to is to get as much out of this case politically as possible to beat the other side with, and that's just disgusting. It's absolutely mm. disgusting to use a case in that fashion. I think so, absolutely. And also, it does two things. First of all, it makes Brianna just a cipher. She's nothing but a victim. And her mum was very keen to stress that she didn't act like a victim in her life. And also, yeah. it robs the perpetrators of agency because it suggests that were it not for this atmosphere of hatred that has somehow been whipped up by the government, were it not for that, they would have been perfectly happy to just let her live her life. It just, it's nonsense. It's utter nonsense, isn't it? It's insulting nonsense. And, as you say, it ignores some of the other more important factors in this case. Yeah. Um, just exploiting the case for political gain which is pretty low it it disallows a more nuanced exploration of the case and what might have led to where we are what might have led to brianna's death i mean there's so many different things that come to mind there's first of all there's her isolation the fact that she was nervous just getting on a bus something that any other 16 year old would be fairly capable of doing without too much anxiety The fact that they had access to cocaine, I think we can probably assume that this wasn't just bravado. This was something that they actually could get hold of. The Mm. fact that this was all mediated through social media as well. The fact that the girl was able to access serious, nasty snuff material through uh, the dark web. Yeah. And also, of course, it disallows people from really examining the motivations of these two Mm. because it's just oh it's all transphobia yeah which i suppose leads us to sentence shall we have a look at that Mm. so what if given that you said if they were over 21 there'd be a whole life order that would be available to the judge sorry let me clarify that that would be a starting point so um Sentencing in in cases of murder in 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 the case of murder there is only one sentence and that is a life sentence which is mandatory. And the only question for the court is the minimum term before which the defendant can apply for parole. And there are five different starting points. At the mm-hmm. top of the list is the whole life term. So there, which is to say, there is no minimum term at all. So to get our sentencing regime we go to the criminal justice act uh, sorry we go to the sentencing act of 2020 we then go to schedule 21 of it this is all available online if if people want to look at it so in a case of um where someone is 21 or over and the court considers that the seriousness of the offense was quote exceptionally high the appropriate starting point is a whole life order. And when we say starting point in the sentence, we mean 
that's where you start your discussion as a judge, but then you adjust it up and down, up for aggravating factors, down for mitigating factors, okay? So we're just deciding starting points. Now, a whole life term will be a starting point where, listen to this, Clive, there is um, a murder, right here we go, cases that would normally fall within the whole life term would be the murder of two or more persons where each, involve, where each murder involves any of the following, a substantial degree of premeditation or planning, tick, um, the abduction of the victim, sort of got that here, not quite, three, sexual sadistic conduct. Next, the murder of a child, if involving the abduction of the child or sexual or sadistic motivation. Then there's murder of a police officer. Then there's a murder with the purpose of advancing a political, religious, or racial, or ideological course, or the murder of an offender previously convicted of murder. So, you know, we're pretty close to that, aren't we, in terms of the, mm. uh, had they been 21 or over. But let's go to the provisions for those under 18. Now, where someone is under 18, the defendants here, I think, are 15, aren't they, Clive, at the time of the yeah. murder? Now, where they are 15 or under, you have to go to a table which is in this schedule. And the table basically says if you fit into the category below the one I've just given you, so I just gave you the whole life term, uh -huh. the one below that is the 30-year starting point. Okay, now you get the, th so that's three, zero. You get the 30-year starting point if the murder involves sexual or sadistic conduct. Bang, tick. We've got that here, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's also You also get it if you've got a murder is aggravated by hostility related to disability or transgender identity. We don't know if the prosecution are going to say if that's the case or not, but that's obviously going to be a discussion. But in a way, you don't, you don't even need to go there because you've got sadistic conduct, haven't you? Mm -hmm. um, uh, let me just see. Now, for that section, that 30-year starting point for youth, so this is paragraph 3.1, if you are 15, that gives you a 20-year starting point in the case of a youth. So if I have got that correct, and feel free to correct me in the comments if I've got this wrong, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I don't think I have, but if I've got that correct, I think Mrs. Justice Yip is going to start here with a 20-year starting point. I think she's going to start with life 20, but that is not the end of the story. She's then going to have to look at the generality of sadistic conduct, youth life 20 starting points, and decide whether this is aggravated or mitigated. Now, there is no mitigation in this case. They cannot point to a guilty plea. They can't point to any assistance to the police. They can't point to any remorse. They can't point to any apologies to the family. They can't point to mental health conditions so far as we know that might impinge on that. Aggravating, we've got plenty of aggravating factors. We've got a previous attempt, it would seem, on Brianna's life. We've got a sustained um, campaign or conspiracy uh, to murder. We've got injuries way above and beyond those necessary to complete the criminal offence in question. The sadism is off the scale. We've got elation, trophy hunting. I, I needn't go on. 
needn't I? I think that 20-year starting point could easily go up to the 25, 26, 27, maybe. So I'm my best guess would be, I don't know, anywhere between life 20 and life 25, maybe even life 30. A lot will depend on what Mrs. Justice Yip made of these defendants at trial, because she was actually sat there. She's seen the cut of the jib. You know, she's seen the whites of their eyes. She's seen stuff in this case, which we will never see. So mm. she will have a, an insight, and she's a very, very senior judge, obviously. She'll have an insight into these defendants, um, which she will set out in her sentencing remarks in in due course. But that would be my best bet. I think that's where she will head. I don't think she can or will pass a whole life term. That would be pretty extraordinary for mm. the youth, which is what these guys are. Um, but as I say, if they were 21 or, or over, they'd definitely be in the 30-year bracket. There is mm. an argument for putting them in the whole life term bracket. So I think these are going to be serious, serious sentences and and they will be on a life license. So that means mm. even if they did get life 25 and got out at the earliest point, so they'd be 40 and nobody gets out first time. So let's say they're 45 when they get out, they'd still be on life license and mm. probation are going to have to watch these two like hawks because th these two are extremely dangerous in my view. I would so agree. That's, yeah, that, that's my best sort of estimate of, of what's going to happen on sentence. But we, we shall see. We shall see. You know, you never know what the judge has seen that we haven't seen. Yes. I'm assuming that there would be psychiatric reports about them somewhere because they got diagnosed with autism and uh, ADHD and what have you. I would assume mm. that psychiatric reports would be part of the uh, process. They weren't. Might they weren't. They weren't be. used I mean, by the defence, but then they they would, yeah. I would. I would. Have, I would think that this is very unusual behaviour for two fifteen-year-olds. I would hope that there's some assessment of them. There'll be plenty of assessments, Clive. The question will be, as defence counsel, do you want it in front of the court? Because sometimes you get these reports back, and you think, "My God, did the client actually say that?" You know, mm. it'll de it'll depend what's in these reports because mm. certainly I've had cases where you get reports back and you think, oh, there's no way I'm giving that to the prosecution. They'll have a field day. Mm. Mm. So could could be, could be, but might mm. not be. Okay. And they'll, they'll serve part of that sentence, however long it is, in a youth offenders institute, won't they? Yeah, that's right. Um, they'll, they'll start life there and then, and then they'll they'll graduate as they as they go through the system the the sentence is technically there are different sorts of life sentences so if you're under 18 at the date of the offense then the correct form for a life sentence is quote detention during his majesty's pleasure okay right whereas whereas if you're 18 to 20 to 20 years old it's custody uh, for life if you're 21 plus, it's life imprisonment. That doesn't, I mean, it all means the same thing, but it, we had, we just have slightly different terms depending on the age that you are. Okay. I think it's important to have a look at uh, the uh, the perpetrators from what we know of them mm. in terms of, like you say, that they are dangerous people. And I would agree with that. 
because to my mind, they are psychopaths, clinically psychopathic. And yeah. I'd like to spend a bit of time talking about that, if I may. Of course. Because I've been, the, the, the viciousness of the crime, the way that they talked about murder generally, and the, the thrill that they quite obviously got out of it, makes me think that they are, they meet the criteria for uh, psychopathy. Yeah. Now, psych psychopathy isn't, is no longer used as a diagnosis necessarily in the psychiatric profession. Right. Nowadays, it's antisocial personality disorder, that kind of thing. But it is a concept that still exists in psychiatry. And so I, I took some time to look at some papers about this. Um, just to give you an idea of what we mean by a psychopath, because it's, it's a term that's often bandied about by people, but there is actually a sort of list of characteristics, if you like, a uh, list of personality dimensions that, uh, that together make you think that someone is a psychopath. So first of all, there's an arrogant and deceitful interpersonal style. I think we see that mm. in these two defendants. Yep. There's an impulsive and irresponsible behavioral style. Yep. Tick. We, tick. We, we, we don't yet know about any previous contact they might have had with criminal justice or with authorities. Good but point. I wouldn't, Good I wouldn't, wouldn't be at all surprised if there was some evidence of uh, poor conduct in school. Mm. Or, or even previous convictions, Clive. We don't know about that yet, but we shall mm. see. And um, deficiencies in affective, affective experience, so emotional experience, uh, known as callous unemotional trait or CU mm. trait. And this is about <clears throat> lacking guilt and empathy. I think that that's fairly obvious from what they, uh, what they said to each other. Showing yep. a, a callous use of others for one's own gain and lacking normal emotionality, particularly showing a lack of anxiety. Now, that's interesting in terms of these two perpetrators, because if you look at the evidence about their online searches after the offence, Y is looking for ways to calm down his flight-or-fight response. B, right. uh, uh, Y, sorry, X is searching for a pair of leather trousers. <laughs> there's there's a lack of guilt on both sides, I think, a lack of appropriate remorse or guilt on both sides. But I wonder if the girl has perhaps less anxiety than the boy. Um, but the, the importance of these uh, CU traits, callous and emotional traits, is that they are predictive of more severe antisocial behaviour and a worse overall prognosis. So however long their sentence lasts, there's a possibility that they will always be psychopathic in nature. Mm. And I guess, because you and I have discussed this, and it's, I'm very clear that the reason people commit crimes like these is because they enjoy it. The reason, yep. the reason serial killers kill 
time and time and time again is because they like doing it. They enjoy doing it. Yep. The, the more complicated question is why would you enjoy that? And this is where some neurobiological and neurochemical markers might play a part. So what we're looking at here is we're looking at someone's moral functioning. So their moral response to emotional stimuli or their empathetic responding. Because one thing that marks out psychopaths is a low basic fearfulness. So the reason why a young person with callous unemotional traits would get into trouble is because they don't fear punishment. They yep. don't have that kind of avoidance of punishment that marks out uh, the rest of us. So there's decreased uh, passive avoidance. Yeah. And those two things together, low basic fearfulness, decreased passive avoidance, lead to decreased behavioral inhibition. Now, let's be honest, lots of us have thought of inflicting violence on others, right? Sure. Perfectly normal human impulse at points. Yeah. You know, you'd really like to bash someone's head in. <laughs> yep. What stops you doing that is because of your basic fearfulness and because of your passive avoidance. You don't do things that would lead to you being punished and also because you have some kind of emotional reactivity to what the reality of that would be like, do you really want to pan someone's head in? Yeah. In someone with callous unemotional traits, these things are distorted. These things are impaired. And it's felt that that might be due to the fact that there are dysfunctions in two areas of the brain involved in the perception of emotions and the controlling of aggression, decision-making, and reward and emotion processing. I'm not going to go into all the um, neurobiology because, A, we're running out of time, but also, B, it can be very complicated to explain. But there are two areas of the brain, the amygdala and the prefrontal frontal cortex, which is where, for instance, we uh, are able to tell other people's emotions. We're able to perceive anger, fear, sadness in others. And also where we regulate ourselves emotionally. Mm. So if you have this lack of uh, or impairment in social information processing, such as decreased re recognition of emotion, such as decreased passive avoidance, such as decreased basic fearfulness, that leads to a greater propensity to impulsive and aggressive or transgressive behavior. Yeah? Yeah. It's also felt that there's a role for neurochemicals in this. So the stress chemical, the cortisol, that's what potentiates a state of fear. Testosterone, on the other hand, inhibits that uh, uh, state of fear. Mm. Couple that with sort of impaired emotional regulation, a lack of basic fearfulness, uh, a dis 
disregard for consequences of your actions and also that some psychopaths will engage in risk-taking behaviors because it takes more to stimulate a sense of excitement in them. You can see mm. easily how this could all escalate into an act of severe aggression like took place against uh, Brianna. Yeah, and it, it occurs to me, everything you just said there is dangerous enough in one person on their own. But when you get two people who share some of those traits and, and, and they connect in, in the fashion that they have in this case, you seem to get this, I don't know, this escalation um, when, you know, when two people find each other and for them, you know, these sorts of feelings and conversations are normal and unremarkable. It's extraordinary the way it spins out of control as it has done in, in this case. Mm, yes. It's also interesting that um, you might think, well, this is this wasn't an impulsive act. This was a planned act. But I've been yeah. thinking about that. And I've been thinking you can plan things all you like, but when it comes to the actual reality of doing it, yeah, that yeah. does that does take a bit of an impulse to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like they may have planned to stab her, but it takes a lot to actually do it. Yeah, I, I guess so. But I I guess the word impulsive is is generally taken to mean something that isn't planned. Um, but I, I see what you're saying. There's a difference between the planning and then actually, are you going to go through with it? But mm. you know, there's no doubt in my my mind that. This was this was forensically, meticulously planned, mm. um, and I, I wouldn't describe it as impulsive. But the but then there needs to have been a level of, if you like, um, fearlessness to actually go through with it. I think, yeah, to actually do it yeah, because or, or, or just an or just an element of sadism and elation and emotional mm. arousal at achieving the object of the plan. Yeah, all of these things would have coincided. So mm. I think that these two are definitely, they meet the clinical criteria for psychopathy. And what that means to me is they're not going to change this pattern of behavior. Yeah. I, because I agree. What, 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 if you like, cures psychopathy, what reduces the symptoms, if we're going to say that impulsive aggression, violent behavior is a symptom. Detention is the only thing that's going to do that. But even then it's not complete. Because as you will know, Dennis, lots of crime occurs in prison. Lots of violence occurs in prison. And the people who have murdered people outside and in the way that Brianna was murdered are not going to take 10 seconds to consider stabbing someone up in prison you've got to remember that by the time we see them in courts the die is cast right there are offenders who are capable of rehabilitation there are the courts do fantastic work with drug treatment and testing orders and judges bring people back on these orders to check how they're going and that's one of the nice things about crown court practice you do see people that get off heroin um and you know stop offending and and for those sorts of people because the pathways into class a addictions are pretty tragic for those sorts of people they can stabilize their lives and 
probation do fantastic work with them. But that's not what we're dealing with here, right? What we are dealing with here, by the time we're dealing with them in, in Crown Courts, there's been years and years and years of them getting lost, in this case, on the dark web and the text messages and the previous attempt. Um, I, I, I think these, these two are highly, highly dangerous individuals. And mm. I, you know, a parole board in, in many years to come, dealing with these two, I would have thought it's going to take a lot of convincing, um, partly because of the reason you've just cited, the, the degree to which you can rehabilitate someone who is of this nature is 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 low because they, they do have to want, you know, rehabilitation is a two-way street. The, the defendants have to want to rehabilitate themselves. I see no remorse and mm -hmm. no indication mm -hmm. from these two as they're merrily trying to blame each other and, you know, running ludicrous defences and putting the family through pain. I'd see no indication that of, of any hope of rehabilitation no. in this case. You know, I would, I personally, I'd be throwing away the key with the pair of them. They, they, they're, mm. they're extremely dangerous, I think. I think so. We may see some mitigation of their psychopathic traits as they go through puberty because... They have. They are yeah. still working on the adolescent brain. They're not going to be past that until they're at least twenty-five or twenty-six. But um, I doubt very much whether we're going to see much change in their pattern of emotional response and their pattern of behavioural control. I really doubt that. I remember reading somewhere that uh, anger management doesn't work. All it does is present domestic abusers with a language with which to manipulate others. Yeah. But it doesn't mitigate their violence at all. You also have to remember that psychopaths can be highly manipulative people. Yeah. The reason that serial killers are successful is because they're able to fool people yeah. into thinking that they are reasonable, quiet, unassuming people. Well, they're often highly plausible, aren't they? I mean, one thinks of things like the Ted Bundy case, for example. Mm. You know, he, he even when he was being tried for murder, he charmed the pants off the bloody judge. It was, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, yep. it's a well-known trait what you're referring to. Yeah. And as they as they as they mature, that ability to manipulate to manipulate others is going to mature with them. Yes. And it would be very easy for them to persuade a parole board that they feel something like remorse when they don't actually, because they'll have learned how to act like somebody who feels remorse. Yep. I've been, I'm with you, Dennis. I would bang them up, lock away the key. No, say that yep. again. Lock <laughs> them up, throw away the key. Get yep. them gone. Yep. Get them gone. That would be my view. Yep. Well, we shall find out what uh, Mrs. Justice Yip decides in February. We'll probably find out a bit more about the perpetrators at that point, which would be very interesting. I'll be very interested to see a bit more about their family background, a bit more about their prior behaviour. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, the mum's response was that she wasn't surprised that it was those two. So I suspect that they've been a problem in the neighbourhood for a very long time. Yeah. We shall find cool. out. I think that's right. I also think that's probably why Brianna sent that text message 
there was mm. there's I'm not sure it was just that the bus was crowded. I think there was a sense that something was wrong. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. Which is just heartbreaking, frankly. Isn't it? It's almost it, like she wanted her mum to say, well, look, just get off the bus and come home. Yeah. But her mum, being her mum, thought she was just encouraging her to go out and make friends. It's just horrendous all round. Isn't it? It is. Well, we're coming up to one hour and 35 minutes, so I think we have pretty much got as much out of this discussion as we can at this point. Yep. It's uh, it's a horrendous case, and, uh, you know, the the statements from her parents were just, I mean, I was nearly in tears, and it takes a lot to make me cry these days, but her dad particularly breaking down during his statement was so moving the dignity that that those those two have have uh, displayed is unbelievable yeah they sat through every day of that trial and it must have been absolutely horrendous for them and also must have been horrendous for the parents as well let's be honest the parents of the perpetrators yes yeah okay well, thank you, Dennis. No, not at all. Thank you very, very much indeed. I'm, I'm, you know, I know, I know it's a, a, a horrible, horrible case, but I'm, I'm, obviously we did, you know, we did the right thing and didn't speak about it during the trial. Mm, so I'm, yeah. I am, I am rather glad is the wrong word, but I think, I think it's right that we have had a, a detailed discussion um, about it, and mm. I, th I think it's important that we we've drawn attention to some elements of the case that other people are determined to miss and mm. also to how important it is to observe contempt of court rules for, for the reasons that I set out earlier. Mm. Yes. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and uh, we'll see you again for a usual Queen's speech in January the 6th. I think we said we'd restart the normal yep. regular show. Okay, yep. everyone. Have a good New Year. Happy New Year to you. I hate New Year. I, just, I hate New Year. <laughs> You're so miserable. I am very miserable. <laughs> you hate Christmas. Person. You hate New Year. God. Cheer up, Clive. <laughs> no, there are elements to Christmas that I like. I like the traditions. I like all the religious elements to it. That's really sort of very nostalgic for me. But New Year, ugh, who can be bothered? Part-time drunks all over London puking into alleyways great fun all right everyone <laughs> anyway happy 2024 all right dennis take care see you later take care too darling cheers bye bye, bye.